Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. This afternoon, it's my great pleasure to welcome Anneli Vicario, who's the online engagement lead at the humanitarian OpenStreetMap team. Her bio says that she's passionate about building inclusive spaces in the OSN community, where the communities that we serve and map are prioritized, listened to, and are able to voice their concerns. She says, the best map of the world should be the best and inclusive space for everybody. Arnelie, that's a great introduction. Welcome to the GMOB podcast. Introduce yourself. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yes. Hello. Thank you, Steve. And kumusta, everyone? My name is Arnali, and I'm from the Philippines. So I, I was a GIS specialist at least seven years ago until I shifted to community engagement. I advocate for a lot of things, including open data and diversity and inclusion in the map. So I'd like to share how I got started with OSM or OpenStreetMap. So in 2016, I was invited by my colleague, longtime OSM contributor, whose name is Faye Andal, to a mapping party. It's a field mapping party together with OSM community members. And yeah, during that time, we were the only two ladies in that mapping party. And if I declined face invite, it would have just been her. So in 2018, I started advocating for underrepresentation, bridging the gap and closing the ratio to increase more representation in the map through JU Ladies Philippines. So I participate, I organize, and I support activities that aim to increase the ratio of underrepresented communities. I also support some small organizations or small groups in the Philippines, such as MapVex. It's a it's a LGBTQ community here in the Philippines, as well as the Ministry of Mapping, where we focus on uh, taking care or supporting map makers and the communities being mapped. And yeah, since 2016, I've, I've mainly used uh, the tasking manager since the Philippines is a hazard prone country. And then in, in 2020, I got more involved with HOT. I, I joined the hot community working group where I felt belong and included. And so yeah, in late uh, 2020, I was, here now working with them as the online community engagement lead. Fantastic. That's quite a journey. And it's, it's interesting how what started as a volunteer experience yeah. has turned into a full-time job for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just picking up that HOT takes this diversity very seriously. You know, there's a role that is based around community engagement and diversity. Do you think that's different to the wider OpenStreetMap community? Yes. I think OSM and HOT is evolving and changing every time. Uh, Contributors coming in and out. We need something of kind of like having a community engaged, having a consistent or committed individual to engage and uh, communicate and manage this community or, you know, making them feel more welcome and making them feel more welcome and engage. And 
you know, having, I, I think also having that, fi- that feeling I got from the hot community group that I felt included, included and belong. I want that, I, I want that to be able to also express to other newcomers or new volunteers in OpenStreetMap, you know, uh, making gotcha. the- So just for our listeners' sake, Annalie, about how many contributors are there through HOT who see themselves as members of the HOT community more than the broad OpenStreetMap community? Yeah, so in, in the tasking manager, we, we have statistics on how many has contrib- contributed through the tasking manager. So as of now, we have around 325,000 contributors right. contributing directly in the map. But there are also, we need to acknowledge those that is not only con- directly contributing to the map, but also the non-map contributions, which is organizing events, and also participating in working groups to, you know, making, di- making our activities smoothly. And yeah, also discussing these kinds of topics like diversity and inclusion. Right. Okay. So that, I can't remember what the latest figure is, but OpenStreetMap talks about a million seven, contributors. Seven million, around seven million registered. Seven million? Yeah. <laughs> but not all active. Not all active. It no, turns no. out like around only one million is really active or have made more than one edit after registering. Right. right. So that so your three hundred thousand who are using the tasking manager compares to the million rather than the seven million. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what kind of stuff do you do as the engagement lead? What kind of activities does that involve? Yeah, so uh, I want to share some of my maybe top three priorities. And one of that is, you've already mentioned before, my North Star for this role and even for myself as an advocate is that the best map of the world should be the best and inclusive space for all. And I want to share in one of my interviews while applying for this position, I was asked and interviewed by all male panel, three of them. And oh, they, great. Yeah. <laughs> and they asked me, are you part of an online community that made you feel safe or inclusive or welcome? And so although I was a bit uncomfortable, I answered them that I was part of all woman community who advocates and uses, who advocates for the use of um, menstrual cup, <laughs> which is considered a taboo here in the Philippines. So yeah, but you know, because it makes me feel safe and that's my truth. I am uh, confident enough to share that to the all male panel. And so I want something like, yeah, I want something like that in OSM that all perspectives are, you know, welcome and heard that dominating voices are aware that they are dominating and should learn how to step down. And I think uh, one thing worth noting is that it's not about taking away their voices or taking the, the away the mic from them. It's about, you know, lifting others to also contribute, not just in the map, but in the conversation. So, yeah. I think that's great. But I think maybe those older voices, and when I say older, I mean the voices that mm-hmm. have been in the community for a long time, actually need to perhaps step back and pass the microphone to some new voices. I'm not, I don't say we have to have our voices taken away, but I think we have to act actively 
reach out and say, here, you say something. Because those of us who've been around for a long time and have the confidence and have the experience have always got an opinion. Yes. And there's only room for so many opinions before you run out of time, Mm -hmm. you run out of space. So, So I think that's great. I sense when you talk about diversity, that a lot of that is about gender. And ethnicity or geographic location, yeah. Oh, you do you do treat diversity as gender, ethnicity, and geography? Yes, where the people are coming from. Okay, so good. Okay. Because often, particularly in Europe, I think when we talk about diversity, yeah, we're talking about... It's men talking about women and saying we've mm-hmm. got a problem that we don't have enough women participating. And that's very true. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm active in the open source community, Virginia, and you know, we know that we don't have as many women members as we have male members. You know, when we have a conference, you'll get, I don't know what the figure is, but say one third of the number of women speakers to men speakers or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and we know we've got that problem, but the problem is bigger than that for me. I think, you know, the problem is that we don't have enough voices from Asia, from Africa, mm-hmm. from Latin America. We don't have enough voices from communities with low income, regardless mm-hmm. of where they come yes. from. And, you know, we have a a white English speaking, you know, tech is white and English speaking, and that's a sh- that's that's a shame, and we lo- and we lose out from that, and a lot of other people lose out from that. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I applaud what you're doing. The fact that you're doing this job suggests that HOT thought there was a problem. Yes. Talk to me about how long have you been doing the job? I think voluntarily, I've been doing this for around three years, but yeah, since joining HOT, I've been doing this for less than six, as a staff for less than six months now. So over those three years of volunteering and now working full-time, do you think you've made a change? Has there been a change? I can say for my Philippine experience, yes. I think, you know, we were able to create a core group of ladies called, we call ourselves JU Ladies Philippines. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were able to integrate and also be part of the organizing teams of events, mapathons. We are able to lead, not just male, just leading the conversation or leading the mapathons. And I think in HOT, you know, I think it's also a success as I've mentioned earlier, that the Hot Community Working Group is the first global MAPI group that I attended or I have joined. And, you know, being a woman in a, a colored woman in a, a developing country like the Philippines, and I felt belong and encouraged to speak up. And now I'm leading that working group. You know, I think it's it's a success. One of the things that HOT has done as a success. And also, I'd like to share some of the activities that we do as a hot community working group. Yeah. So every meeting, yes, every meeting we make sure like we hit, we do introductions for newcomers. And we also have, you know, we collect like a list of shout outs to celebrate community communities and contributors and also we have this very consistent uh, monthly webinar and uh, this is actually a space uh, an open space to 
discuss topics like these controversial topics, diversity and inclusion, colonialism in open mapping, sexism and misogyny in open mapping. And we, we are very careful in selecting our panelists. We keep in mind to have like a diverse and more included panelists. And so we know that being a global community time zone is a challenge. So we did a layout, a community webinar layout where we have a two time block. So one is like catering for Asia, Europe, and Africa. And the other one is catering for Latin America, America, North America, and then Europe. And yeah, I'm very happy to do that because since then, like our community webinars before that are in just one time block and was attended or participated by like only around 50. But after that webinar layout, we were able to get around almost 400% increase. So like around 200 people participating live or watching the live stream and yeah, wa watching the recorded talks. And so, yeah, I think one other challenge we're still facing right now is the challenge on language <laughs> because yeah not everyone is uh, is comfortable or you know understand english enough and so we are finding ways on how we can try to get that gap thinner <laughs> and so we are collaborating with we are starting to collaborate with some individuals and also community groups who are uh, professional or uh, willing to volunteer their time to translate or be a live interpreter in those right. in those webinars. I mean, that's a massive problem for a global community. Yes. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's the OSGO community, the OSN community. Mm -hmm. If you've got members from around the globe, from every continent in the world, speaking 50 different languages, mm -hmm. whatever language you choose, is going to be difficult, which is where I think Yachiku mm -hmm. have done a great thing because they've said we're Spanish-speaking women and that enables one group of women to sort of work together, to talk together, to discuss stuff. But you can't do that when you've got maybe people speaking 30 different languages, you know, yeah. and... Uh, Yes, Spanish is still one of the post-colonial dominant languages in the world, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. Whereas um, that's a problem. I I guess that we're that technology will solve one day. I think you know, there will come a time when you'll be able to type and simultaneously. You know, the translation capabilities will be such that you'll be able to type or speak and hear it or read it in real time in in almost any language, which will We'll solve that. We'll solve a problem, but it won't solve all the problems. So, what what do you think is the biggest challenge that you're facing in your work in community engagement at the moment? Okay. What, yeah. What do you go to bed worrying about, or wake up worrying about? I think one of the worries, or uh, aside from diversity and inclusion, one of the worries is that, you know, HOT has this kind of a reputation that they are not that community centered, although they are a humanitarian organization. Their like process and ways are not too community centered. It's more like an organization centered or goal or goal oriented centered. But yeah, I think one of the challenges is that to have 
from last year, the Philippine community released a call to correct geospatial narratives in the Philippines because there, there was a very not a not good video about the Philippine mapping community he, here about the Philippine mapping community. And yeah, we did not like it because it did not capture what the correct or the real narratives are in the ground. It featured, uh, white men. And like we had the, we, we had that, you know, feeling that it, it's, it's still the classic white savior supremacy or white savior <laughs> dominance saving underdeveloped nations. So OSM Philippines, we were able to gather enough, you know, not just buzz, but like also empowered other other communities when we publish that call. So I am a hot community volunteer at that time, very active, but you know, I see this fault and it should be, it should be called out. And, you know, by calling out, you don't see it as, you know, just pointing fingers at just that organization or at that production company who made that video, but also, you know, pointing out that there is a bigger problem that we need to address. We need to be, you know, be more careful in communicating these things because in the Philippines, we don't want to see ourselves as, you know, someone just a beneficiary of op- open street map or open mapping. We are, or, and we have been uh, participating and organizing our own events without, without hot, without, you know, without other organizations. So yeah, we call them out. I'm, I'm very happy that our executive director, Tyler, was able to, to make a public statement about that. And yeah, we also had support from the hot board member. And yeah, I think this is something that HOT is still in work in progress since we still like receive reports about, you know, uh, uncoordinated projects and, and that includes incorrect tagging because, you know, each community has their own ways of tagging. So yeah, it's still, uh, we're still learning from it, but yeah, we don't want another thing like that to happen. So yeah, we want to address that issue. I think I've been an occasional contributor to HOT for I can't think how long, but a long time now, you know, right back, probably just after Haiti, you know, when the very early stage, when the tasking manager first first came, and certainly when when the tsunami hit, hit the Philippines, you know, myself and my daughter were sitting at home mapping away using the tasking manager. So we've been doing it for a long time. And I think it occurs to me that HOT is structured and organized. The tasking manager says, this is where we need you to map. This is where we've got gaps in the map. This is where we want somebody to inspect and validate the work that somebody else has done. Whereas in the wider open street map community, that wasn't the case five, seven years ago. It's a little bit more the case maybe now. And I think that's been a really positive thing because it's directed people, armchair mappers, I call them, you know, people like me who are sitting at home and want to map for an hour or two one evening. It's directed them to the places where they can do useful work. Of course, AI is now changing that a little bit because you instead of 
me sitting, tracing, building outlines or roads or paths on aerial imagery, you can now train, use machine learning, and you can do a lot of that automatically, can't you? Yes. Yes, but yeah, I think that that is also one challenge, you know, that artificial intelligence is contributing or helping us to map. But AI and or artificial intelligence cannot help us build a map that is grounded on local knowledge. And so I think it's it's still important to have people and you know actual people. Uh, living or in there in the ground to map and also validate or yeah. look at the data quality of the data that is being uh, contributed to in the map. And also to identify what is important to map. Yes. You can't <laughs> look at an aerial image and know what's important to map. You have to live on, live in that area and understand the geography of that area and what's important to decide what are the priorities for mapping. Yes. And that's not for an armchair map. So before we started, I, we were talking about what might be a topic that was close to your heart that you wanted to talk about. And um, you mentioned to me paid contributions to the map. And given that you're working with volunteer engagement and this is the largest crowdsourcing project in the world, probably OpenStreetMap. What's your opinion about the companies who are funding paid contributions to the map? Yes, uh, thank you. That is a That's a very great question. So yeah, I think we have a lot of research and articles about paid contributions and editing in OpenStreetMap. In February, Jennings Anderson, a longtime OSM contributor and also researcher, uh, made an update on the numbers of paid contribution in OpenStreetMap. And we can see he has a graph that shows the top 50 countries who are involved in paid editing. And I'm, I'm very surprised to see in UK and the US there, but 48 of those are, 48 of those countries come from, you know, developing or low income communities. And so we have this research on where they are coming from, but I'm curious if we have research suggesting why this is the outcome. So I'm speaking as someone coming from this developing country or developing nation. And yeah, I, w- I want to touch on the three aspects of that. One is the uh, volunteer-based or v- volunteer-based open street map. So, you know, what are the ethos of the, of voluntarism? It, it's supposed, the UN volunteer says it is infused with solidarity, welcoming and empowerment. So the question there is, what is the motivation of people volunteering in o- OSM? And another aspect is uh, contribution and the means to contribute. Asking the question, how can we contribute? So you you ask yourself, what are your means to contribute and volunteer? You mentioned earlier you, you can have like one or two hours just remote mapping. And also, mm-hmm. and now I want to... I want you to look and try to look at other contributors, especially these contributors coming from these developing countries. So what are their means to contribute? So sometimes I can, sometimes I feel like vol- voluntarism can be, can sometimes feel like a 
result of a privilege. So when a person have times and means, tools, knowledge, trainings to do a certain thing, they are able to do so. But what if you're not? So yeah, I think motivation is not enough and that motivation without means is nothing. So, and that leads me to the last aspect about varying capacity. So OpenStreetMap contributors, as I've said, has varying capacities. Not all of them has the time, internet connection, uh, training, uh, tools to contribute to the map. And that hinders the adding of uh, local knowledge and uh, mapping mapping those features which are really important in this community. I'd also like to share that there's an article 2018 in 2018 that co-authored by uh, one of my HOT colleagues, Ma- Martin Ditus, about paid contributions in Wikipedia. So in summary of that article, they shared that to reduce inequality in Wikipedia, Wikipedia should consider paying editors. And believe me or not, this is also something that I've experienced. In 2016, I was an OSM trainer for a project for disaster response and management. And so we, we are tasked to train like around three provinces in the Philippines. All of them are, yeah, all of them are very positive and encouraged to contribute since it will help their work. They will be able to see the critical lifelines needed when they need to respond and also prepare for disaster or uh, typhoons and flooding. But there is one town in in this uh, particular province that did not welcome that idea because why they see it as an additional work <laughs> and yes so they were able to convince the other towns in that province that oh yeah this is additional work so you see the motivation or what we like to instill is that this will help you map has the maps are very useful to help you in your work in disaster response and management but for some of them having this additional skills is is an added work when you acquire these skills so yeah in my perspective i don't see anything wrong with paying people for the data they generate especially the local knowledge they generate and yeah especially those people who do not have the means and privilege to do so voluntarily i think as long as these paid mappers or paid contributors are locals and stewards of their land it is okay to pay them for that data they, they generate so yeah I was a volunteer for diversity and inclusion in HOT. And then now I am a paid or paid staff in HOT. Before I, I can just give like one to three hours per week to work on this, to engage people. But now, you know, being a paid staff, I can focus on this and, you know, not just, I think. I do this beyond my work because this is my advocacy and this is my interest. And so. I'd like us to, you know, reconsider that, that paid mapping, it should not be demonized or, you know, it's, it's not a threat. It's actually something that can motivate or incentivize these people coming from the developing world and low income countries that who needs 
really these maps to help them develop and help them um, respond to the crisis and humanitarian crisis and also disaster response and preparedness that they are facing. So yeah, I think one of the, the main challenge of that is how can we communicate these varying capacities to the wider OSM network or the wider OSM mm. communities where they didn't know, they are not informed that we don't have the means or we have li limited means. And, you know, just to be more accepting of that, we are, yeah, we have these articles quantifying how many paid mappers or paid contributions there in OpenStreetMap. But yeah, I think we need to look at why, why, why is that? Why? I think also something that we maybe don't take enough notice of is that when you get a community involved in building out the map, and I'm thinking back to Kibera or to the community in Dar es Salaam as two examples of that. Those communities may well have been seeded with some paid mapping. You know, volunteers, volunteers were paid to map. But along the way, those people, not only did they, they help to build the map, but they learned, they built their own technical skills. And many of those people have been able to go on and to get jobs in the technology sector, like you have done, but they wouldn't have been able to get if we hadn't have got them started. So I think I think there is a role here, which you've articulated, to to use to say paid contributions are not are not bad, but what we want to be doing is targeting those resources to enable people in local communities not to have a factory of workers in a low cost economy who are just sitting looking at satellite imagery and doing the same kind of jobs that armchair mappers used to do. What we want is to fund mappers on the ground in local communities and to also help them to develop skills that will enable them to have a better life in the future uh, beyond the map. So, yeah, I think we're both... I thought we were going to disagree <laughs> about paid mapping, and I think we both come to a very comfortable place of agreeing with each other. Mm -hmm. Amelie, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. And, um, oh, before you go, just remind me, if people want to make contact with you, you've given me your Amelie Elsewhere yes. on Twitter. And OpenStreetMap. And you're on the OpenStreetMap. And all of the links will be in the um, show notes when we publish the issue. So, yes. Arnely, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. 
And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.